Well, I'm sure you have your Bibles so open them up to John chapter 20, if you would. John chapter 20. And we're going to talk about the other Mary. We're not going to talk about the Mary of the virgin birth today. We'll pick that up next week. But we're going to talk about the other Mary, the Mary who was at the empty tomb. And so um, I've been to many cemeteries and graveyards and mausoleums. I've even been to the honeycomb nichos of Peru, uh, which is where people are buried in walls. It kind of looks like an oversized beehive. I had never seen anything like that. I've never been to or in a tomb or a burial chamber of the sort that we see in John chapter 19 and John chapter 20. Now, I was on the list to go to Israel along with 25 other people uh, next year, the last, uh, the last week of, of January, but you know where that, that has gone, and we're not going to be able to do that, and so I've missed out on going to see the tomb. But I have, tell you what, I, I have been believing in and convinced of an empty tomb all of my life. How many of you believe there was an empty tomb? There is an empty tomb over there in Palestine. Say amen. Amen. Well, our passage last time dealt with Jesus while he was dead. And buried, or better yet, entombed. Joseph and Nicodemus, uh, both high-ranking members of the Sanhedrin, had been silent believers, but they stepped out of the shadows into the light, and they were instrumental in obtaining the body, preparing it for burial, and placing it into a new, never-used family tomb belonging to Joseph. Both of these men, Joseph, Nicodemus, stepped out of the shadows into the light. And I've just got to say, I'm so proud of you for participating with us in Sowers because you just can't quite, you can't quite distribute the gospel and talk about it with people without coming out of the shadows and saying, hey, I'm a believer. And uh, boy, I, I'm just so proud of you for participating. We're going to just, eternity's going to tell what the results of that are. And so I'm just so very thankful. Now, Jesus was crucified with the wicked. He was penniless at his death, but he was buried in a rich man's tomb. He was completely covered in that tomb with spices and aloes and then wrapped in linen cloths and had the aromatic spices then poured all over his corpse uh, in, as an honor to him in his burial. They used 100 pounds of spices, and that's because uh, he was a king. Uh, it's all over now. Once he said it is finished on the cross, the humiliation and, and demotion of Jesus to be in the likeness of sinful flesh, that's all over. And now then uh, he is the king of kings. He always was, but now then he is recognized as the king. And even at his burial, he was recognized with a king's burial with the amount of spices and the expense that they went to. That was John, 9, uh, John 19 and 20. Now, what's interesting to me is, is that Jesus entered into the world and they wrapped him in strips of cloth, uh, maybe even torn from Mary's own garments. But when he died, he was wrapped in strips of cloth again, but this time with linen. Uh, which is very fine material. It was fit for the priesthood. All of those priests, even the ones that worked in the Holy of Holies, had to be covered with linen. And it's also fit for the burying of the kings, of the rich. And so he was that way. And let's never, let's never forget, brethren, that our Lord Jesus became poor so that he might make us rich. You may never, you may never get to uh, participate and be on the list of Forbes top 100 in this world, but folks, just remember, uh, not only do we have the riches of his presence and his grace and the riches of his forgiveness and the family of God, but I tell you what, we're going to walk on what this earth prizes the most. Gold is what's going to be paving the streets of heaven. Aren't you glad that you know Jesus as your savior this morning? It is so very exciting. Now, I, I talked about this 
As I mentioned last time, the entombment was done rather quickly to, because it was a special Sabbath. And so they got him wrapped, but they didn't finish the whole procedure. The women were watching where Jesus' body was laid so that they could come back after the Sabbath early on Sunday and bring even more spices and even finish the job to a greater degree. All of the Gospels talk about that, but uh, talk about that glorious morning. But today we're going to read John's version, and I really would appreciate if you would stand to your feet and let's read this passage of Scripture. Now, I personally am going to read down through verse number 10, and I'd like you to join me on verse number 11. We'll read through verse 18. Let me read. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple that were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now join me. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting at the head and at the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, our father, I ask that you would add your blessing and your and your presence to the preaching and teaching of your word this morning. I pray for an anointing both on myself as I am speaking and on the people who are in front of me. Help this to be a profitable time, Lord. If there's anyone here yet, even yet in our church with us this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray they could just see these words, woman, why are you weeping? What has you so upset? And whom are you seeking? And realize that we can seek Jesus. I pray that many today would do so. Bless our time together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you be seated? 
Now, there are many ways to teach the passage, and I want to do it simply today with hopes of leaving you with one or two very penetrating points to both encourage your heart and to equip you for everyday living. That's, that is the point, isn't it? We, we're preaching and teaching the Word of God, not just to fill our heads with all kinds of facts, figures, and knowledge, but to equip us to live. And I pray that what we say today will help you. We're getting close to Christmas, and to be honest, I think our passage today is a gift. <laughs> Let's look at Mary's journey today from gloom to glory. The first thing I want you to notice is Mary's devotion. And uh, we have to ask the question in verse number two, who is the we? We, because it says we went to the tomb. The other gospel accounts say that Mary was not the only one that planned on going to the tomb early that Sunday morning. Matthew speaks of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mark mentions these two and Salome. And then Luke mentions the two Marys and Joanna. So there were several women, but Mary, this Mary arrived while it was still dark and was joined by the others at first light. The point is this, is that Mary wasn't the only woman at the tomb and the only one to testify that the stone was rolled away and that the body was missing. It was she, she was a test, uh, uh, one that could testify and then there were other women that were there too. I'll just pull over and say, you know, today that on the, on the, uh, on the word of two or three witnesses, things, big things can happen in a court of law. And even at that time it was that way, but we've got many witnesses and uh, the Bible gives testimony that more than 500 people saw the Lord alive. Well, praise God. There are many witnesses that know that he's alive. And I tell you what, for what he's done in my own heart and life, I can tell you he's alive because he's in me. I know he's with me and I know the word of God is true. Jesus is alive today. Amen. He is alive. So the point is Mary wasn't the only one, but this is a very special Mary. Mary, this Mary was especially affected by the events and she got up early. And the phrase early is interesting. While it, it means literally while it was still dark, anywhere from three to 6 a.m. in the morning. You see, she had waited since Friday sundown. She had spent a very restless Sabbath and a very restless night. She just couldn't wait any longer. And so she was the last one at the cross and the first one at the tomb. She was there. She wanted to be first. She was, had great devotion and love for the Lord because of all that the Lord had done for her in her life. And I'll just parenthetically say, you know, there's stuff going on here at church on a Sunday, and it's good that we get here. It's good that we don't miss what's going on. Like what, you, what a lot of us heard this morning, many of us miss it because we're just not here when everything going on. She got there early. She was ready. And she appears in the gospel many times. Uh, of all the followers of Jesus, it doesn't surprise us that Mary was the one that seemed to be the most dedicated. She was last at the cross, first at the tomb. Luke 11 tells us a little bit about it. She was called Mary Magdalene, and here's what her story was. She had been healed of some disease, but out of her, the Lord had cast seven demons. I mean, a full complement of demons, seven, full number. They'd been cast out of her, and so she was so thankful uh, for what the Lord had done. She'd been healed of sickness, had demons cast out of her. No wonder that she loved him. But who among us this morning Cannot say likewise that Jesus has done great things for us, beginning with the fact that though we were born in sin and practiced sin all of our life, he still forgave us 
whenever we trusted in him to be our savior, believing in the gospel. We believed on him and he removed our sin. He gave us, and he took away the weight of our sin and promised us forgiveness and he promised us an eternity in heaven. Now, Mary had served him faithfully since he saved her from her past life. What a beautiful thought. Amen. I quoted it last week, Romans 5, 5. What an important verse that we're supposed to, that, that we who have received him, we that know them, we, because he died for us, we should no longer just live for ourselves, but live for him who died and rose again for us. And folks, that's the way it ought to be. We ought to love Jesus with great devotion. Verse number two, she called him Lord. The truth is he was her Lord while he was alive and she didn't quit seeing him as Lord once he was deceased. Now then we come to Mary's disappointment, verses one and two. And her disappointment was an empty tomb. To us, it's thrilling. We talk about the fact that the tomb is empty and it is just something that just lights up our life because the empty tomb means that he rose from the dead. But you see, for them, they were not looking for somebody to actually rise from the, from the dead. She, rose, she showed up that morning with spices to anoint the body because she didn't understand yet. In fact, Peter and John didn't understand yet. None of the disciples, as a matter of fact, none of them, nobody anywhere understood what Jesus had meant when he said the third day he would rise again. They didn't take it literally. When they arrived at the tomb, the stone was rolled away. There's no mention of the Roman seal, no mention of the Roman guards, nor where they went. It didn't occur to Mary that he had risen. She was simply looking for his body because it was missing. She was looking for a body to anoint with spices. She was not looking for a dead man that had risen to life. She didn't delay much, however. She knew something shocking was going on. And so she turned around along with the others and they decided to tell the disciples. And it's amazing to me, I'm just going to parenthetically say, it's amazing to me that God chose women to make the discovery and to disseminate the information. Because in the first century, a woman's testimony was not even admitted in court. Uh, they couldn't be trusted, they thought, to get the facts right. Well, you know, God sort of bucks the system. He bucked it then. He bucks it today. Do you know who he chose? He chose the ones that nobody else wanted. He didn't choose the rich, the high, the mighty, the, the soldiers. No, no, no. He chose the women, these faithful women. He chose them. They were the first to see the empty tomb. And then a woman was the first to see the resurrected Jesus. And so Jesus turned culture right on its head. He'll turn culture on its head today, too, if we will keep preaching the truth of Jesus. Now, they ran to Peter. And even though Peter had failed miserably earlier, they still recognized him as the leader, the one to inform. These gifts and callings of God were without repentance for Peter. He was, he was that guy. I want to say a word about him here. He was indeed impetuous. He was vacillating. And he did deny the Lord three times, but he was still God's choice to lead. And so what did he do? He repented. And in spite of his previous failure, he got up and he ran to the tomb. Now, folks, I just want you to just stop and think for a moment. If we did things today, just like they did then, we'd give people a second, a third, a fourth chance. Jesus let, Jesus let him deny him three times. He said, that's all right. Satan's desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And afterwards, you're going to comfort the brethren. And he did. Now, listen to me. This is very important for us to get a grip on. Have you failed? Have you fallen? Have you sinned? Have you embarrassed yourself and your family? Well, then here's what I would recommend based on what we just read. Repent, confess it, get up, and get back in service to the king. 
Do not just lay down and say, well, I messed up. It's all over. I can't do anything. I, no, no, don't do that. I lost my temper. No, no, no. I, I just lost my testimony. We'll regain it. Confess it. Repent. Confess. Get back up and serve the Lord. We, we have a God who forgives sin. Amen? And he reinstitutes us. Mary ran to Peter and the others. But at first, since these were just the silly women, Mark 16, 11 said the disciples refused to believe it. Luke 24, 11 says the disciples thought what, the, what was reported was just nonsense. Well, we can't pay attention to these silly women. Now, at this point, they weren't talking about resurrection. They were simply talking about the absence of the body. They said, well, how could you say something like that? Why, there were 16 guards there, and there was that famous Roman seal. Anybody touch that thing, and the whole army's coming after you. And then there's the problem of the stone. Don't be silly. Dead people don't rise. Uh, uh, the, the People don't rob graves like that, especially when these people are involved. And so they just rejected what they had said. But they were only talking about the missing body. I want you to see Mary's distress and this idea of some empty hearts, because there were some empty hearts here. First, the first uh, group that had empty hearts were John. That's verses, uh, Peter and John, verse 3 to 10. Peter and John had information, but they didn't have understanding. They did. They had, the, they had, they had some information. They they, they, they're they're, they're going to go and they're going to see things, but they do not understand. You know, from week to week, we have church here. And a lot of times people get the facts, but they don't get the message. They hear what was said, but it never penetrates. There's a, lock, there's a lockdown situation in our heart and mind, and we're just not receiving what it is that God had said. Peter and John were that way, and many all the disciples, because he told them time and again what was going to happen. So Peter and John ran to the tomb, probably more about the missing body than the possibility of a resurrection. They didn't really believe or at least understand that Jesus would literally rise again. You say, why is that? But look at verse 9. For as yet they did not know or perceive the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Nobody was talking and he talked about it, but they just, you know, it just passed through. You know what? I'm going to, we're all going to go up to Jerusalem. He said it over and over. We're all going to go up to Jerusalem uh, and the chief priests are going to, they're going to, they're going to try me and then I'm going to be turned over to the Romans and they're going to kill me. But don't worry, I'm going to rise on the third day. And they said, "Uh mm uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, we hear you. They, They didn't get it. Don't laugh at them. Sometimes we read and see and hear and testify to the word of God and we don't get it. Now watch. People don't rise from the dead. Now they did see him raise the widow's son. They saw him raise the little girl at Capernaum who was 12 years old. They saw him raise Lazarus. It's only been about three weeks since he raised Lazarus from the dead. But the one who raised him from the dead is dead himself also. And you know, people, <clears throat> people just don't raise themselves up from the dead, do they? Jesus told them multiple times he would. He said, it, he said it on the Thursday before his death that it would happen. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record it. Now, folks, I don't do this often, but I'm going to give a little Greek lesson here because it's so pertinent. I want you to listen for a minute. Yeah, here goes Pastor Phil. He's going to bore me to death. Listen to these. Listen to these a little bit. Just listen in. A little Greek. Here it is. There are some words used here that bear explaining. He said, well, what's wrong with English? Nothing. It's a great language, wonderful language. It's precise, exact, good for conveying the facts. If you just want the facts, English is the best language. That's why all your air traffic control towers around the world, everybody's got to learn English because it's so factual, exact, precise. Everybody speaks English in the air traffic control for most of business in the world, English. Now listen to this. Greek and Latin, however, are far more descriptive. 
Because we have a word in this passage that's translated Saul, S-A-W. It's translated Saul three times, but they're all three different words in Greek and have different meanings. Verse 5, 6, and 8 all use that word. When John arrived and stooped down and looked into the doorway, he saw the linen cloths lying there. The word saw is blepo, and it literally means to see them. Oh, yeah, they're in there. That's it. He saw them. He saw them. But in verse 6, Peter also saw the linen cloths lying there, but the word saw is not the same word. The word is theoreo, and it means to observe carefully. Here's, here's John. Yeah, they're in there. Here's Peter. Oh, look at that. There's this. There's no body in there. What's this? His face cloth is laying over here. Hmm. He observed. He saw it. He saw the details. That's the word theoreo. And then we come to verse 8. John afterwards went back in the tomb again. And again, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But this word saw is idon. And it means to see with great attention, to experience. Three words, all translated saw, but all very important. There's something going on here. There's another, something else we see here. Uh, sometimes we're, we're like this. We, we, we need more definitions for the word because sometimes we glance at something. Sometimes we observe carefully and sometimes we see with understanding and belief. I want you to see the words also a little more Greek. The words lying there, lying there is kemena, kemena. And the word literally means to be set or placed in position. They were laying there. They were right where they had been laid the night that he had died before dust. They put him in there on the Sabbath. They put him in there and there he is. Before the Sabbath, he was laying there to be set or placed in position. You say, well, that's very enlightening. What, what, what does it mean? Well, the report at the palace was this. The palace, at the palace, they were told the disciples or someone else broke in and robbed the grave of the corpse. The corpse is gone. No mention of the soldiers, no mention of the, how the stone was moved, no mention. No, no, no. All they did is that they gave the evidence. The evidence says, the evidence says that there's no corpse in there. But when we read the scriptures here, it says that the grave clothes were laying there exactly as they had been placed. They had been set or placed in position on a ledge. Watch this. This is what had happened. The wrappings that Jesus was wrapped in had collapsed on themselves, something like a cocoon when a butterfly has sloughed out of that cocoon. Now think about the implications of this. If robbers, whether they were the disciples or anyone else, if robbers would have come and carried the body away, they would have just picked the body up and run off with it. Or they would have ripped off all of the outer wrappings of them, dropped them right there in the floor. But can you imagine robbers, whether they were the disciples or whether it was anybody else, grave robbers, could you imagine them walking into the tomb, taking the time to unwrap that whole thing, take the body out, and then try to wrap it back up exactly like it had been, respread, respread the, the, all of the spices and all those things on there again? No, 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 that's ridiculous. They would not have taken the time to make the cloths look like a cocoon again. Jesus' resurrection body was different. He passed right through the cloths without disturbing them. When he, and then when he removed his face wrapping, it was this face wrapping or handkerchief. There's other words for it. It's the sudarium, and it's used to cover his face and to hold his jaw in place, not let his jaw flop open. That's what the sudarium was for. I always think about this. Uh, one of my favorite movies at Christmas time is A Christmas Carol. And I love that part when Joseph Marley comes in, he's got his jaw tied up and he's got a big bow on top of his head. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen this. And he's going to get ready to talk and he just pulls that thing in his jaw. Nah, 
and just drops down like that, you know, and he starts talking. That's exactly what the sudarium was for. It was to, it was to wrap the head. It was, it was separate from the rest of it, and it held that jaw in place. And here's what I'm trying to say to you. There was no chaos in the empty tomb. There was simply a suspension of the natural law. Jesus in his resurrection body was not bound by the law of nature. He just came to life and he rose right through those linen cloths. This is what he says. Somebody says, well, but, 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 you know, natural law says, well, listen to me for a minute. We talk about the laws of nature, the laws of nature. I've said this before. Let me repeat it. There's no such thing as the laws of nature. There is the law of God that nature has to obey. And God can suspend any law he wants to anytime he wants to. And one day there's going to be a trumpet blow and he's going to have a mass suspension of the laws of nature and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. You see, this is the law of God. And this is what he is going to do. And I always like to mention this. The reason that that stone was rolled away, Jesus could have passed right through the stone. The reason the stone was rolled away wasn't to let Jesus out. It was to let people come in to see that he was no longer there. Ah, it's beautiful. The evidence is in. The body's not in the tomb. He was gone. They believed that much. But their hearts were still empty. Look at verse number 10. And the disciples went away again to their own homes. The disciples went away again to their own homes. I have to say that uh, seeing that evidence, trying to remember what the Lord had said, somehow it didn't register. So after they saw what they saw, and it was, you know, just a a, a fact-defying situation. They just could not imagine where his body could be. What did they do? They went home. From Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, I preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as Brother Matt and Jonathan and many of us. We preach the word of God and we talk about God's word ought to have an impact in our heart. It ought to move us. We ought to make decisions. We ought to to let God's word speak to us and let it dwell in us richly in all wisdom and so on. We ought to let God's word. But you know what we do? Sometimes no matter what we hear, no matter what, you know what we do? We just go home. We We don't let it dwell in us. We don't meditate. We don't think on it. We don't, we don't say, wow, that is the truth. How can I apply that in my life? No, no, no. We, what do we do? We just go home and say, hey, no, where's the hamburgers? These guys, the tomb is empty. Jesus is gone and Mary is this. And what did they do? Went home. Ah, so we got some empty hearts with Peter and John. They're disturbed, of course. And here's the empty heart of Mary. This is verse 11 to 14. Mary must've come back to the tomb with Peter and John. Because she stayed after they left. So she stayed. And we, what do we see her doing? Well, the scriptures say there, 11 to 14, that she was weeping. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. Now, folks, this is not a quiet whimper. This is a word that means she was wailing. She was distraught and distressed. She was inconsolable. She was full of anxiety and disappointment, discouragement and despair. It all enters into it. Her world had just come apart and she was in great distress and she was weeping. So you get the picture. This is not just, oh man, I've got a hangnail or I lost my favorite pair of shoes. No, 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 no. Her world was coming to a part because her Lord not only had died, but now his body is missing. She's weeping and she's worried. She stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two men in dazzling white, the Bible says in Luke 24, 4, or two angels as it says here in John. 
Now, it's interesting to me that Peter and John saw no angels, but Mary did. So get this now. Mary saw the empty tomb first. She saw Jesus first. She also saw these angels. The rest of them saw none of it. Watch this now. So she saw two angels uh, that were standing there, and they were dressed in white, and they were at the head and at the foot. But she was so distraught, even when they spoke to her, she was so distraught, so sorrowful, that it didn't seem to faze her. And I don't know about you, but if, you know, if we were in here this morning and two, two angels walked in that door and their, their, their clothing was just so dazzling white and bright that it was blinding us and everything, and they came in with a voice. I don't know what angels sound like, but they came in and they talk. And I, I would be looking at them and I'd be running. I'd hit the door. I'd, I'd do, do something. I'd be scared to death or I would be in awe. I don't know. But I wouldn't just say, hey, have you seen what they did with the body? She was worried. She was distraught and sorrowful, but it didn't phase her when she saw, you know, sometimes in our life, the pain is such that no visit, no words, no efforts at comfort seem to help much. There's a lot of folks in our room today that have suffered incredible loss. You've been suffered the loss of a loved one. You've suffered the loss of your own health or the health of someone that you love tremendously. Perhaps, perhaps you've had a plan for business and you invested all of your strength and your effort and your own personal finances into it you did everything you could and it's come to nothing and you're you're just there and so you're in this situation of loss you're in this situation of distress you're in this and and sometimes words and visits and what we might say to one another are just not going to do here was here was a visit from two angels now the angels I, I, I imagine, I, I, listen, I'm just imagining, but the angels are seeing Jesus as he is. I mean, they don't understand salvation. And they certainly didn't understand why the son of God, the creator of the universe is being crucified on a cross. But here all of a sudden they know now he has risen from the dead. And I don't know if, I don't know if angels grin, but I could just imagine these angels at the head and at the foot of that place where Jesus had laid Oh, my goodness, what they were thinking. The angels asked her, why are you weeping? And she says, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. They've taken his life. I'm not going to let them take his body. Now, folks, there's something very beautiful here. These two angels stood at the head and at the feet of the empty shell, of this cocoon, of, this, of these wrappings that still look like the form of a body, at the head and at the feet. It reminds me of the cherubim who were on both sides of the mercy seat where the blood of the sacrifice was placed on the, on the day of atonement year to year. And these cherubim wings stretched out looking down at this sacrifice. And here we have, as it were, in this empty tomb where Jesus has risen from the dead. And here's an angel on one end and the angel on the other. And they're standing guard over where he was. It's almost as if this sacrifice is finished and he has risen from the dead. And the, the word is helisterion. This is the word for mercy seat. The hysteria right in front of them, the mercy seat from the Old Testament, the mercy seat on the cross and the mercy seat and he's gone. Aren't you glad Jesus raised from the dead? He rose from the dead. She was blinded by grief. While she was stooping and looking in, she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. So how could that be? Well, was she blinded by tears? Was Jesus' resurrection form completely altered? Perhaps Jesus kept her from recognizing him, maybe. Any of these, all of these, some other reason, I don't know. But I know one thing. Jesus can be right there in our lives, and many times we don't see him, we don't perceive him. I know that for a fact. 
I know that many times in my own life, you know, pressure comes, stress gets big, problems need to be solved. And sometimes I think it's just overwhelming. And, and I just forget that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That he's going to give me the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with me, in me, at my front and side, my front. He's leading me and he's my rear guard. And he'll never leave me or never forsake me. And Jesus is always there. And the troubles come and the heartache comes and the loss comes. And oh, we just, all we can do is just keep looking into the tomb. Instead of looking back at the Savior. This is exactly what Mary was doing. She turned. There was a noise. She turned. And behind her, there was, there was a presence. And she looked and saw the gardener. And she saw the gardener. And there he was. But instead of talking to him or turning, she just turned back and said, Sir, if you know what they have done with the body, please tell me because I'll take it away. She's fixated on her loss. Fixated on her hurt. Fixated on her. And there was Jesus. You know, dear friends, Jesus ought to be the, he ought to be the first place we go in our hurt and heartache and trouble, not the last resort. It ought to be the first call we make, talk to Jesus, pray. How many of you believe that Jesus never leaves us forsake us? Say amen. amen. How many of you believe that when Jesus said, I, where, I, the, wherever you go, I'll go with you? Say amen. amen. Jesus is with us, but we don't perceive him. Ah. Uh, she could not understand that that was him. He was standing right there. Well, I end up quickly with Mary's delight. The empty grave clothes, verses 15 to 18. So we go from doom to delight, from gloom to glory, all in these few verses. So Mary was overcome with grief, and Jesus was standing there, and he asked her two questions. Woman, why are you weeping? And two, whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping? And whom are you say, well, he knew both questions. He knew exactly what she was doing. But you know what? She, instead of looking to the living Savior, she was looking at the problem and loss, and she just couldn't quit. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary's mistake is what we see in verse 15. She mistakenly thought he was the gardener. And was only, she was only concerned for one thing. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I just want to give him a proper burial. Well, folks, uh, the gardener that was, she thought was a gardener that was standing there, Jesus, in a sense, he had carried the body away. She said, have you taken him away? <laughs> yeah, he raised him from the dead because it was he and he was standing there and he had taken him away. So yeah, I've taken him away. And so he rose from the dead. So Mary's mistake, Mary's distraction, verse number 15. As she's talking to Jesus, asking this question, evidently she turned back to the tomb looking in. She was looking for a corpse. She was looking for an earthly answer. She was looking for some remedy. She was looking for some explanation. She was looking for the big why question to be answered. She just kept looking and looking. Here was Jesus, but she wasn't looking at him. She was looking at the problem, looking at her heartache, looking at her loss, looking at the tomb, just looking, looking, looking. But what she should have been doing is looking to the author and the finisher of her faith. That's what we should be doing. Looking to the author and the finisher of our faith. Verse number 16 is glorious. Look at you would to verse number 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. In just two words, despair was turned to delight. Jesus said one word. He said this word, Mary. Can I say something to you this morning? God didn't, he, he called, Jesus called her by name. And I want to announce to everybody here this morning. It doesn't, just because you, 
going through troubles and problems and heartaches and difficulties and it just seems like the wheels are coming off. That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't know you who you are and that he's gone anywhere and he knows your, Jesus knows your name. He knows you. He knows your name. She turned around and she said something interesting. She said, Rabboni, which is to say, my master. It wasn't just the guy that gave me some instruction. Oh, no. This is my Lord, my master. He is the one I love and adore. And she understood all at once. And so her doom is over. Her delight has come. Mary had heard Jesus say that he would be cruelly killed and rise again on the third day. She had seen the death, the burial, the stone removed, the empty tomb and the shell of the burial clothing. But she... She didn't get it until Jesus spoke her name. Hallelujah, dear friends. Jesus knows your name. He knows my name. Well, why does this surprise us? Because in John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus said it so clearly. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them (laughs) and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Oh, it's huge. Have you heard? Do you follow? If you don't follow, it reveals a lot. So important. John, the other women saw all of the evidence, but they had not heard his voice yet. Mary was still lost and distraught until she heard Jesus call her by name. Uh, it reminds me of an old, old song and a psalm. It says in Psalm 30 in verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It was morning. It was early in the morning on Sunday morning, and her joy showed up. Joy comes in the morning. Bonnie and I used to sing that song. Mary's got a new relationship in verse number 17. It's kind of interesting. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Basically, touch me not. Don't touch me. (laughs) Jesus said, I am no longer in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now he's got a celestial body. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We know him as God. He is God. He was standing right there in this new body. He's not just her itinerant teacher, not just a miracle worker. He is God, and he is in his godly form. He's going to his father, and now her father. And folks, I just have to tell you that now we are the sons and daughters of God. Did you catch what she, he, Jesus said to her? Look, I'm going to my father and to your father. Tell the disciples, I'm going to my father and to your God. My God, your God. Oh, this is beautiful. He's never, she, she, all she had up to that point was this miracle working itinerant teacher that was kind, loving, and helpful. But now then she's standing in front of the great I am. And she says, and he says to her, and listen, I'm going to my father and he is now your father. First Peter chapter 318, we talked about it last week. Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross so that he might bring us to God. You know what I want to tell you this morning? If you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in the family. You're not the son of God as Jesus is, but you do have an inheritance that is kept for you in the heavens, out of the reach of this world. It can never decay or be taken away. Praise God. We are sons and daughters of God. How many of you believe in Jesus? Say amen. Raise your hand. All right, then you are the son of God. You've got a father in heaven and he's the same father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when we, he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This ascension was going to happen in 40 days, but he already has his new body. I have a question for you. Have you heard Jesus' voice calling you? Have you answered the call by faith? Are you the child of God? Not exactly as Jesus is, but are you in the family? Are you confident of your sins forgiven and of an eternal inheritance in his presence in heaven? Verse number 18, I can't miss this. If I'm preaching and I'm talking, I can't hardly ever miss this point. Look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that, she, and that he had spoken these things to her. So Mary's mission. She was a missionary now. Then This was the news, too good to keep to herself. She made a beeline to the disciples and told them of her own experience. So she testified. And then she told them what Jesus said. Is that not what we're called to do? Are we not called as witnesses to tell what happened to us, to give our testimony, to say, hey, well, look here, let me tell you what happened to me. Here's what Jesus did for me. Here's who I was. Here's who I am. Here's where I was going now. Here's where, I, <laughs> here's where I'm headed. And let me tell you something else. I've got a message for you from Jesus. That's our life. Our life is to testify. Our life is to tell. Testify and tell. Tell the good news of the gospel. Oh, it's so important. We tell people all kinds of things, but do we tell them about you? I've made way too many points. Here is something to take with you this morning, and I've emphasized this very strongly. It's about empty things. Empty tomb. In this case, it represented uncertainty and disappointment. And then there were some empty hearts. I got a question. Has life left you with an empty heart? Have you been given empty promises by people? Empty hopes and empty dreams? Are you a little bit like Solomon who had it all, yet his life was vain and it was just like chasing the wind? Have you pinned your hopes on a relationship, an investment, a dream, or a career only to find emptiness and vanity? Well, there's hope. There, was an, there were empty grave clothes in that tomb. And so don't lose hope. Jesus overcame death and hell in the tomb. And Peter preached and said this. He said, Jesus, God raised up having loosed the pain of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now, I've got to read this to you today. It's not possible for us to be held by it either. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says that Jesus is going to come and because of his ability to rise from the dead, he's giving to us, he's going to call us forth from the grave and from our living bodies if we're still alive at the rapture. And we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we're going to go into his presence and so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. We have this hope. In Psalm 16, he talks about what to do with it. It's Psalm 16, verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. You see, that was Mary's difficulty at that moment. She was gazing at the tomb and gazing at the problem and gazing at her disappointment and gazing at her discouragement. and She was just gazing at all the situations when Jesus was standing right there. But David said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh will also rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol or the grave nor will you allow your holy one Jesus to see corruption you will show me the path of life 
And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fill these out very quickly on the end of your sheet there. Here's what I want to tell you today. Always look to Jesus. Set him before you. Always count on Jesus because he is at your right hand and he never leaves. Always rejoice in Jesus' goodness and let your heart be glad. Always believe in Jesus' promise. Rest in his promise not to leave you in the grave. He didn't leave Jesus there. Always walk with Jesus. He will show you the path of life. And get this one. Always remember that your eternal joy and pleasures are not in this world on this planet. They are in heaven in his presence forevermore.